Thank you very much, Brother Deal. Praise the Lord, everybody. I've enjoyed this wonderful service tonight. Wonderful presence of God. Nothing like the presence of the Lord, is there? Not a thing like the presence of God. Get along without a lot of things in life, but we could not get along without His presence. I appreciate what I felt here. I thought of a little post. I appreciate what I felt here. I thought of a little postcard I picked up one time and was going to send it to my good brother-in-law, Brother Vore Shoemake. showed a picture of a man, a young man, and he looked like he was destitute, broke, needing help. And on one, one half of the card, it showed him in that destitute condition. And he was writing his dad a, a letter. Dear Dad, I am busted and disgusted and have no hope for the future, and if you don't help me, I don't know what I'll do. And then the next side of the card showed him after he'd taken a great big drink from a wine bottle, and he said, went on to say and said, Now, Dad, if there's just anything you need, you let me know. <clears throat> Well, that's the way we felt around here tonight. You know, before the Spirit of God begins to move, we feel a little dry, you know. But just one good drink at the fountain of living water. Oh, my. It makes a big difference. What we're feeling around here and enjoy camp meeting, I'll tell you. This has been a great experience for me to get to come back to uh, home district and be able to minister the Word of the Lord, and you folks have been so kind, and, and I just want you to know that I appreciate it very much. Good to be with you. I wish the Lord would just uh, help to strengthen my throat and lungs these last two nights, and I could preach to you like I really feel in my heart. We had a great... I just, I, I couldn't tell you how much I enjoyed our district superintendent's message. Brother Moss, you need to edit that and put it in the beacon. And then you need to send it to the Herald. That message needs to go around our fellowship. I'm sincere. I appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that my son was here, and he said, Dad, said, I don't know how old Brother Deal is, but I'll tell you, he can still get with it, can he? Amen. And I was glad, I was glad that he could hear that kind of preaching. And I really appreciate it. Thank God for it. To see Brother Carrington is a blessing. I appreciate this young man, one of the finest young men I've ever pastored. We got him when he was going to junior college in Paris, Texas, and he began to come to our church. Now, this young man's roots were deep in the assemblies of God. He had uncles and family. That's all they had ever known, uncles who were district superintendent and leaders. It was quite a step for Brother David to take, to make the move that he made. I'm glad that he did. 
I'm glad that he did. I'll never forget one night he went up the country somewhere with some of our young people to a fellowship meeting. And one of our preachers really got carried away in preaching the truth. And he said, bless God, if you don't get baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to split hell wide open. So it shook him up a little bit. I had been gone somewhere, and about midnight, here comes Brother David knocking on the door, and he's really disturbed about it. And he said, well, if I didn't know your attitude, he said, I want you to know I'd never be back to Oneness Church again. You see, we love good steak, but we don't like for anybody to slap us in the face with it. I like for it to be cooked medium well and put in, in a good plate right out in front of me. I can enjoy it a lot better that way. I don't like that waiter to come and slap me in the face with it. We have a beautiful, glorious truth, and I believe that it takes it and a man will go to hell without it, but we must present it where they'll love it and not resent it. Amen. Well, thank God for the truth. I appreciate the blessing of the Lord. Has God been good to you today? Would you like to just lift your hands and worship the God? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glorious truth, Lord. Thank you for your word. We're getting ready to endeavor to bring it tonight. Would you help us and inspire our hearts? Oh, God, help us to deliver faithfully the word of God. We are absolutely nothing without you, Lord. We stand trembling in your presence, desiring the touch of God, wanting your presence, wanting your blessings, desiring the anointing of the Lord. Move upon this congregation tonight, that soul that's on their way to a devil's hell. Oh God, would you rescue them tonight? Would you bring them to an altar of repentance? Draw all of our hearts closer to you. Oh, without you we could do nothing. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise the Lord. I'm reading from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. First Kings 18, I'll begin with verse 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey. Or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. 
And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to say how much I enjoyed just seeing these children from Tupelo Children's Mansion. And I want to cast my vote of confidence for that beautiful, wonderful operation. And Brother Jury is doing a great job. Everybody said amen. amen. I'd like to preach tonight. My subject is a question. Is your altar for sale? Is your altar for sale? Brother Dale Smith told me he has some altar benches and pulpit stored in the back of his church. He's waiting for the time that I can come and pick them up because I want to fix up a chapel one of these days, and it will be the old-timers' chapel, and I'd like to put altars that Dad built and a pulpit that Dad built and uh, put a lot of things in there as just kind of a little token of appreciation so that people can see it. Uh, Brother Bud Watson's here from Cunningham, Texas. They have rebuilt the church in Cunningham that my dad built many years ago, and they've made a beautiful building out of it. They have put padded, uh, padded uh, places for people to sit down on the pews that my dad constructed many years ago built so well. And then somebody handed me a newspaper, just a part of a newspaper that uh, I think was dated 1941, a certain date, 1941. When Dad built those altar benches in the Cunningham Church, he probably thought if time God spared us until uh, many years would pass, delayed his coming, that somebody might take those altar benches apart. Well, in remodeling the church, they did. And he had put it in between two boards on top of the altar bench, and they were quite excited when they uh, took the board off to refinish it, and there was that newspaper, Deport newspaper, and the date, and my dad had made a little remark on it. And uh, so this was quite an experience. It's been a blessed experience to me to go back and rededicate three churches that he has built. I'd be glad to know that I could go and rededicate some that I had built sometime. But uh, this would keep me quite busy just getting to preach in the churches that he started. And so altar benches meant a whole lot to him. I can walk in a church and tell you right away who built those altars. He had his own special little trademark. I was called to go to Ranger, Texas a few years ago. Uh, our district secretary of the Texas district, Brother Neely, invited me to come and preach for him. He said, there's a man in my church that has something he wants to give you. So I got there that night before I preached. They presented me with a little small Martin guitar. Now, the strings were off of it, and the neck was bowed, and it had been cracked, and certainly needed a lot of refinishing. But this man had bought it from my dad probably 50 years ago when dad had gotten in a real tight place, or maybe 45 years ago, and sold it to this man for $10. He kept it all these years, put it up, 
And uh, then through the years, he said, I want Brother James Kilgore to have it in, uh, in memory of his wonderful father. So they presented that to me that night. They said, I guess you know, this guitar is a collector's item now. Uh, the, the antique uh, man came out and appraised it, said it's probably worth $1,100. said, in fact, it's a collector's item. It is so valuable that you could probably have it refinished and get any price you wanted to out of it. I took it home. I was thankful for it. I appreciated it so very much because it meant a lot to me. On the way home from Ranger that night, I got to thinking the thing that caused uh, many folks to be attracted to a meeting because Dad would play and sing a lot of times. In fact, uh, we'd have street meetings, and I used to be scared half to death. Pull up to a place, looked like a good place for a street meeting, and he'd pull the car over, and Joe was uh, three years younger than myself. He'd get, he'd get those two little boys of his out on the street corner, and he'd get to playing that guitar and singing, and that would attract a crowd. When the crowd got big enough, well, then he'd start preaching. And so it served a good purpose. I was always scared half to death when I'd see people out on the street and my little old heart would tremble and I would be so afraid. And until one day in Waco, Texas, Sister Dolly Lynch, while we were singing, she pitched a few pennies down at our feet and then motioned for the crowd to do the same thing. And pennies and nickels and dimes started flying from all directions round our feet. I want you to know that was the most exciting day of all of my life. I had never seen over a nickel or a dime at the most in all those years. But right in the middle of that song, here it comes raining money down around our feet. I forgot that song. I want you to know, I said, Joe, let's get it before somebody else does. We got down on our hands and knees and we started picking up those nickels and pennies and, and dimes and we forgot our song. But I was always ready to sing on the street corner after that. It never happened again, but at least that one time. That guitar, I got to thinking about it on the way home. You know, it had meant so much through the years and been used in brush harbor meetings, storefront buildings, schoolhouses, tent revivals, open air meetings. It had been used for a good purpose. Now it is a collector's item and was worth a lot of money. And I looked at it and I looked at it that night. And I prayed a little prayer in my heart. Oh, God, don't let the things that are sacred to us, don't let the things that are important to us, don't let the things that mean so much to Pentecost ever become collector's items. I don't want to sell the altar of God. It's not for sale. Now, I'm reaching for three classes of people tonight in this message. And I come with a heavy burden on my heart because I feel that God gave me this message. One time I preached this message, one time only. Many years ago I preached it and I thought I'd be able to preach it a lot of times. But the occasion was not just right. Sunday night on the way in on the airplane, I was thumbing through my Bible and I came across this thought. And I thought, I'll preach that tonight. God said, no, it's not time. I forgot about it. 
Woke up this morning and the Lord impressed it heavy upon me. And I feel a heavy message and a heavy burden. And I want to do my best to discharge my duty faithfully to you. But I'm reaching for three classes of people. I'm reaching for those who are lost and you know you're lost. You're here tonight without God. You're on your way to hell. And uh, this may be your last service you'll ever be in. It certainly could be the last camp meeting you'll ever be privileged to be in. I would do my best to reach you. I would crawl on my hands and knees all over this building tonight. If I knew there was one of you back here, this would be your last service. And from this service, you'd slide off into eternity. If I knew you and knew where you were, I'd do my best to get to you some way. Even if I had to crawl on my hands and knees, I'd try to reach you. But then I'm also reaching for another class of people. There are a lot of people here tonight who are lost and you don't know it. You have learned to sit in a Pentecostal service through the years. You've learned to go through Pentecostal motions. You've learned to respond when the pulpit asks you to respond. But as far as really feeling the victory of God, you don't feel victory. You don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't have that overflowing experience. Something has happened in your life. You have sat on a Pentecostal bench and you've allowed the Spirit of God to leak out of your soul. You don't really enjoy it, but you go through it. You don't really have the victory, but you wouldn't be anything else. You know this is all you want to be. I would to God that I could stir you tonight and cause you to dig deeper into your heart than you have ever digged in a, in a long, long time. And you'd find yourself at an altar of repentance asking God to have mercy upon you. And please, God, don't spew me out of your mouth. Have patience with me and restore the joy of salvation. And let me rejoice in the Lord one more time. And then I'm preaching to another class of people tonight. I'm calling to every one of us who have felt the real touch of God in this camp meeting. I'm calling to you in this message to get a grip on this thing like you never have before. I'm asking you to love it like you never have before. I'm asking you to go home from camp meeting and serve God like you never have before and be more faithful than you ever have and live. Live it every day. Live it in your prayer. Live it on the street. Live it on the job. Live it in church. Everywhere you go, be sold out to it. Lock, stock, and barrel. 100%. Love it and appreciate it and cling to it and hold fast that you have that no man would take your crown. I'm reaching for you three tonight. What class are you in? You'll have to decide that. And I trust the Word of God somehow would uncover a situation in your life to the extent that you would know where you stand in the presence of God. I was so glad today that I could hear that message from Brother Deal. I was so glad that I could feel a hunger in my heart. Oh, God, don't take that hunger away. Don't ever let me lose desire and hunger and determination. I want to strive like never before to enter the straight gate. 
for straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. But somebody's going to make it. Somebody's going to make it. Somebody's going to make it. And by the grace and help of God, we can make it. I'd like to mention what the altar of God represents. As far as my research is concerned and what I have looked in the Scripture, first of all, it means access to the presence of the Lord. That's what it was in the Old Testament. That was the only way a man could approach unto God was by way of an altar and a sacrifice. Abel built his altar. Noah built an altar before he built the ark. He built an altar after the flood came and they finally settled down on the earth again. The first thing he did was build an altar to have access into the divine and wonderful presence of God. And that's what he did. Abraham built an altar. God called him. He became a great altar builder. He traveled over the country from one place to another, constantly moving. Every day it seemed God was calling him to continue moving another place. But every time he settled down in any place, the first thing that Abraham did, he built an altar. He wanted access into the presence of God. All right, God, if you want me to go, I'm willing to go anywhere. But let me be sure that I have that contact with you that I need. I'm saying to us in the New Testament, the era, that we need that divine contact daily. Our altar is access into the presence of God. I felt Him this morning. I felt Him last night. I felt Him this afternoon. I felt Him in Brother Knott's church today as I prayed and waited upon God. I felt Him there, Brother Knott. I feel Him here tonight. And I feel that He has given me a message. A message. I believe that it's a message that God wants me to deliver to you. Don't ever lose that contact. Don't ever lose that privilege of having that access into the divine presence of God. It is said of Lot that he never built an altar. He lived by Abraham's altar. He never built one for himself. He got in trouble. He was constantly being rescued by his uncle. He never learned how to build his own altar. I pray that some of you folks, before this camp meeting is over, you'll learn to build an altar. You'll learn what it is to go into the presence of God for yourself. You'll learn what it is to break through in the Spirit and touch God. And perhaps tonight will be your night when you say, I built my altar. I quit living by Dad's altar and Mom's altar and the church's altar, and the pastor's altar. I have learned to build my own altar. Jacob built his altar. When he got back to Bethel, first thing he did was build an altar unto the Lord. He saw his twin brother never built an altar. He never knew the thrill of having access into the presence of God. He never knew what a blessing it was to be able to go into the Holy of Holies for himself, as it were, by being able to offer a sacrifice 
and know that God accepted that sacrifice and he was able to talk to God. Amen. Amen. In the New Testament, of course, when we talk of the altar of God, we're not necessarily referring to a bench. This is a good place. I don't ever want to take the altars out of our churches. It's a good place for you to come and kneel. It's a good place for you to drape your body over the top of it. It's a good place to weep and cry and pray. It's a good place to repent. It's a good place to make your consecration. But the real altar is the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul tells us we have an altar. Thank God He is our altar. And when we come to the house of God, that house of God represents our altar. That we pray and seek God and we hear from God. Because it's at the altar that we get a message. It's at the altar we hear the Word of God. It's at the altar we receive what God has for us in the last days. Praise God. Thank God for the altar. It's Acts 2.38. Hallelujah. I still believe in old-fashioned repentance. I still believe that's the only way you have access to God. That's the only approach into God is through this, the sinner's prayers, that prayer of repentance. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And there's only one way to get baptized, and that's to go down in the water in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And I believe it. I didn't get to finish the other night when we talked to President Lee in the Mormon boardroom, and and I told him that we believed in the doctrine of monotheism, and we were not Trinitarianism. We did not believe in a triune God. And finally, when he said, uh, what are you going to do with Matthew 28, 19? And we tried to explain. He said, oh, that's just a play of words. That's, that doesn't mean that. It's just a play of words. Brother Urshan spoke up and said, President Lee, as the president of your great organization, when you sign the documents on your church, do you sign it just president of the Mormon church or do you put President Lee? He said, well, of course, to make it authentic, I have to put President Lee because that's my name. Brother Urshan said, that's what we're trying to tell you. Father's not a name. Son's not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. Amen. Jesus is the name of the Father. Jesus is the name of the Son. Jesus is the name of the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Praise God. Well, he stood to his feet long about that time. He was ready to dismiss us. He was not ready for a confrontation. He was not ready for a discussion. He was ready for us to go. But I was glad I could say, President Lee, inasmuch as you and the Mormon Church believe in the Trinity and you baptize using the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that makes you a part of all the rest of the religious world. You belong to all the other churches. We stand alone. We're separate. We're all by ourselves. We have the truth. Thank God we stand alone. Praise God. That's what Balaam said, wasn't it? Thy people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. We're not going to be reckoned among the religions. Thank God we stand alone. 
And thank God for the truth. You've got to repent. You've got to get baptized in Jesus' name. And you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for those that have received it in this camp meeting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you want it tonight, you can have it. You don't have to leave this building without it. Come with faith in your heart, a worship in your soul, and your eyes and your mind on Jesus, and be determined, my friend, all of a sudden you begin to feel something move down deep in your heart when you get to that place, and you don't feel like you're saying your words very plain. Don't try to stop and lick your lips and get it all straightened out. Say in your heart, this is what I've been seeking for. This is what I've been waiting for. I'm too close now. I'm going to make that extra thrust. And if you make that extra thrust, all of a sudden, the miracle will take place. The miracle will take place. You'll find yourself speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Praise God. Thank God for that truth. I must hurry on. The altar of God means access to God. I find also the altar of God, it was a place of refuge in the Old Testament. And it's still a place of refuge. When we're burdened down, laden down, tried, tempted, tested, thank God we have an altar. It's a place of refuge. It was also a place of separation because on that great day of atonement there was a separation made at the altar of God. There was the scapegoat and then there was the goat that was slain. The altar was built. The blood was shed. And so the altar of God became a place of separation. It's still a place of separation. Jesus said in Matthew 10, I didn't come to send peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. I'm dividing homes. I've set a, a son against a father and a father against a son. And he said, in fact, a man's enemies many times will be those of his own household. Why? Because you came to the altar of God. And that altar drew a dividing light and it caused a separation. The altar of God represented a place of forgiveness. Forgiveness. On that great day of atonement, they were forgiven for another year. The sins were rolled ahead. Amen. I find in the Word of God in the New Testament that the altar of God becomes that place of forgiveness because the Bible said when you, if your brother has all against you and you present your gift to the Lord and you know that he has something against you, leave your gift, go your way, be reconciled with the brother. You see, it takes the altar to reveal if you have something in your heart that's wrong. It takes the altar to reveal if there's something that your brother has against you. And so, when you come to the altar, the house of God, you hear the message of God, and then you are stirred in your heart. You want to go back and make things right with a brother or sister, because you cannot offer your gift to the Lord in the proper manner until you make things right with your brother. Amen. The altar of God was a place of acceptance. I quoted you the scripture last night. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My Bible tells me it's important that we are accepted. Amen. I want my prayers to be accepted. I want my worship to be accepted. I want my preaching to be accepted. I want God to know that I'm doing everything within my power to be accepted of the Lord. That's the way we need to live every day. Oh, God, help me that my life will be pleasing, will be accepted in the sight of the Lord. You're my strength and my Redeemer, Lord. I want you to be pleased. It doesn't matter if others are pleased or not, just so you are pleased. And so let's keep the altar of God a place of acceptance. But then I'm forced to tell you tonight, that the altar of God became a place of judgment. It certainly was. Sins were judged at the brazen altar. Every time the blood was poured out and the sacrifice was burned on the altar, it was a type of judgment for sins. It was the brazen altar, and the fire was to be kept in that altar at all times. God said, don't let that fire go out. It was kindled by the Lord God. Human hands had nothing to do with the fire at the brazen altar. God kindled that fire, and He said, when you move from place to place, you make sure that the fire does not go out. I want the fire to continue to be burning in my altar, God said. And that meant when when the man needed something, there was always the fire burning at the altar. Hallelujah. I'm glad we have an altar that still has fire. I'm glad I could feel the fire here tonight. The altar, a place of judgment. It certainly can be a place of judgment. It was in the, in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. It was in the case of Uzziah. They dared to come to the altar of God. And Peter said, did you sell your property for this amount that you have given? Yes, we have. And so Ananias fell dead. How dare you stand at the altar of God, the place, the meeting place between God and man. How dare you stand there? How dare you pretend that everything is all right? I wonder, I wonder what would happen to many of us many times if God would go down the line when we stand in His divine presence and we cover things, we hide things, we have not come clean with God, and we pretend that everything's all right. I wonder what would happen if the fiery judgment of God would start falling. I wonder what would happen. I still can't get over that man in Louisiana four weeks ago standing up in front of those men, lifting his hands so brazen and saying, God, if I'm wrong, let me die right now. And the second time, God, if I'm wrong, let me die right now. And the third time, he dared to go 
to the presence of God with that attitude when his heart was black as the set of hell. And he said, God, if I'm wrong, let me die right now. Sat down on the couch by his wife. One of the elders said, Brother, I have heard of people doing what you did and the judgment. And this man had a sneer on his face. And before he could say the judgment of God, the man fell dead right there by the side of his wife. And what I didn't tell you, the undertaker could not get that sneer off of his face. They worked with that man. He called in other technicians. They tried to straighten the man's face out where it would look normal. But he went into eternity with a sneer on his face. And he went to the grave with a sneer on his face. And he will stand at the white throne judgment with a sneer on his face. I'm telling you simply tonight that the altar of God can become a place of judgment. 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 Over oh, the Kilgore, this is camp meeting. We're supposed to shout around here. Why preach about the judgment of God? You wouldn't have a camp meeting if we hadn't had messages about the judgment of God. I told Jimbo today, I want you to hug Brother Nelson's neck. This is the man who used to scare me half to death. I wanted to get under an altar. And he said to Jimmy, he said, your granddad used to preach that way to me. He said, I wanted to get under an altar. We wouldn't even have Oklahoma camp meeting today and you wouldn't be here if somebody hadn't preached the judgment of God and told you there was a red-hot hell waiting for you. There was a red-hot hell waiting for you if you didn't straighten up your life and repent and seek God and do the will of God and get rid of your sins. That's why we have camp meeting. I'm glad somebody preached that way to me. Amen. In the state of Indiana a few years ago, and if I'd call the name of the pastor, all of you would recognize it. He stood up against the pastor, and even in a service one night, tried to stand up against the pastor and dropped dead right in the middle of the service. And instead of the family praying and repenting, they said, Oh, isn't it wonderful that Dad would die in the house of God? I want to tell you the place of God can be a wonderful thing. The house of God can be a blessed place. The altar of God can be a sacred place. But it can be a dangerous place if you please to. So be careful. Be careful. Now, do you want to sell your altar? Do you want to sell access into the presence of God? Do you want to sell acceptance? Do you want to sell that spirit and privilege of repentance? Do you want to sell that place where God meets with you? No, friend. No, I don't want to sell it. Ananias and Sapphira sold too cheap, stood at the altar of God and said, Yes, we sold it for so much. But they both died at the altar. Died at the altar. Died at the altar. What a terrible place to die at the altar of God. I'm simply saying tonight, we need to develop that old-fashioned fear, that godly fear that brings and demands a respect from our heart 
that says, I want to love and respect the Lord. I'm afraid to go too far. I don't want to exert my own ideas and my own will above the will of God. I want to be careful how I treat my pastor. I want to be careful not to touch God's anointed. Don't ever think that God ever gives you the privilege of lining a preacher up and telling him what to do. You say, well, I know that he's wrong. He's still God called. He still has the anointing. He might be wrong, but he's still the pastor. He still occupies that position that God put him into. And it's not up to you to touch him. You might be like the Yerza did when he reached out to touch the ark. He thought, I'm going to help matters here a little bit, and I'll put my hand out. And when he did, he fell dead. You leave him alone. God will take care of him. God will take care of him. When God gets through, when God gets through, he has a way of doing everything just exactly right. And so there's some things that are not left to us. It's reserved to God. You better let God do it. Amen. I never forget a few years ago. Oh, I say a few years ago. I, it's been many years ago now. I was just a young man. And my dad went to preach a meeting, another meeting in Paola. He preached a lot of meetings there. And I was just... Um, just still wet behind the ears and didn't know very much and thought I knew a whole lot. And, and Brother Charlie Carter was pastor then, and he had pastoral duties every day and was going constantly doing things. And, and so we were trying to get a breakthrough in the meeting, and I knew that Dad had stayed in the church hour after hour praying and seeking God. And so we were talking there one evening, Brother Carter and myself, and he said, I, we need a breakthrough so bad. And so I stepped out of my place. I thought about that today while Brother Deal was preaching. I stepped out of my place, Brother Deal, and I said, Brother Carter, if you'd pray like my dad does, maybe we'd have a revival. And he looked at me and he said, Young man, feel proud of yourself. You just rebuked an elder. You feel real proud of yourself now. And when he said it, it was like a dagger that hit my heart. I'm so glad for the feeling that God gave me. All of a sudden, I felt like I was hanging out over hell. I felt like any minute God was going to cut me off and I was going to fall into the pits of hell. And I went into the church and I cried and I prayed and I begged God to forgive me. And, and I got through. I came to Brother Carter and I hugged his neck. I said, Brother Carter, please, if you don't forgive me, I'm going to be lost. And I don't want to be lost. Brother Carter, please forgive me. He said, Son, I gladly forgive you. But I want you to know I took a lesson and locked that up in my heart. And I said, by the grace of God, I'll never touch God's anointed again. I'll never rebuke an elder again. I'll leave that to God. God can take care of that. God knows how, and when He does it, it's always done exactly right. What I'd fail to realize, Brother Carter was a pastor. He had pastoral duties. He couldn't wait like my dad was. He was evangelist. He had plenty of time. I learned that lesson, and I loved Brother Carter to the day of his death because he looked me straight in the face and said, Son, be proud of yourself. You just rebuked an elder. 
Is your altar for sale? Is it altar for sale? I've got to read you some scriptures here. and I know that it's getting a little late, and I, I come with a real burden on my heart. This is not what I wanted to preach. This is not what I wanted to preach. I wanted to preach something else. God wanted me to preach this. And it's going to reach somebody. I know it is. I know it will affect somebody. There was a man in the Old Testament that was kin to the same spirit of Ananias and Sapphira of the New Testament. Second Kings, the 15th chapter, tells us about this man. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. And then verse 3, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Then verse 4, Save or accept. Oh, it would have been good if that word could have been left out. We could have ended his life with verse 3 where he did all that his father had done and did everything according to the will of God. If we could have ended Azariah's life there, Azariah was Uzziah. If Uzziah's life could have ended in verse 3, how good it would have been. But we come to verse 4, save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. His consecration was not complete because there was still something in his heart that he was not willing to surrender to God. He saved the places where heathenism and idolatry was concerned. He did make a thorough work of his job and his ministry and his consecration was not complete. But then if you'll turn to Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter, it talks a little more about Azariah or Uzziah. And verse 15 and 16. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, and he was marvelously helped. Marvelously helped till he was strong. He became somebody. All of a sudden, he began to believe all the compliments. Uzziah, you're really somebody. You know it, man. You're somebody. Look at all the things you've done. You're big now. You were small when you were 16 years old. Look at you now. You're really somebody. Uzziah, there was one thing that was lacking. And because of that, something else is happening. You're strong now. <clears throat> You're strong now. I remember a young man years ago. He had natural ability. Natural ability. And some folks have it. When it's harnessed with consecration, it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. But when it depends on the pride of a heart, it becomes a destructive thing. And so, any time he was called upon, he could stand up at the drop of your hat and preach like the house was on fire. Most of us were struggling and digging in midnight hours. We're still seeking and searching for something and praying and begging God to help us. 
And that young man had such ability that he could sway a people and get up at the drop of your hat and preach like the house was on fire. And finally, one day, he made a mistake. And when he, when he said what he said, we all felt cold chill bumps run up and down our spine. And we looked at each other and nodded our heads, shook our heads. He said, I can preach with the anointing or without the anointing. I don't have to have the anointing to preach. And when he said that, it was the beginning of the end. He was helped until he was strong. He was helped until he felt like he could get along without anybody helping him. He was helped until he felt like he didn't have to listen to a district board. He was helped until he got to the place where he thought, no superintendent's going to tell me what to do. No superintendent's going to tell me how to run my affairs. I'll do exactly what I want to do. He was helped until he couldn't listen to his elders until he became strong. When he got strong, something began to happen. What was it Samuel said to Saul? Saul, when you was little, God made you ruler over Israel. He raised you up. You stood like a giant when you were little. But now, Saul, you think you're too big. You've grown to the place where you think you can get by with a disobedient spirit. Don't you know, Saul, that disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry? Saul, you're on your way down. You're gone. The anointing's going to leave you. The blessing of God's going to leave you. If you're so big, let's see what you can do now without the anointing. I don't ever want to get to the place where I think I can get along without the anointing. Hallelujah. There's that certain something that a preacher feels for. And most preachers rather preach the need uh, when the anointing comes. But if it doesn't come, he'd rather eat than preach. And I've been there a lot of times too, too many times. But I don't ever want to get to the place where I stand in the pulpit at the altar of God and feel like I'd make it without the anointing of the Lord. There's a certain something that's made us what we are, Pentecost. Don't ever forget that. That's the presence of God. I was going over to Brother Mangan's to preach a few weeks ago, and Jim went along to drive for me, and I, would, I didn't notice it, but I'd read a while, and then I'd groan a while, and finally he said, Dad, are, are you nervous? Well, I said, yes, I guess I am. I hadn't noticed it. Well, he said, you mean after all these years you still feel nervous about preaching? I said, yes, son. And I said, I hope I never get to the place that I don't. I hope I always feel a certain trembling, a certain shaking. I hope I never get to the place that I feel like I can put it over. I hope I never get to the place that I feel like because I'm an official, I can do it. I hope I never get to the place that I feel like because I've been pastoring 30 years. I know exactly how to preach. No, friend, I've got to go back to that church again. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I felt, I felt the weight of this message today. 
And I slipped away this afternoon. And I got in that church again, Brother Knott. And I walked those aisles again. And I said, God, let me preach. Let me deliver the burden of my heart. Let me bless those people that have meant so much to me through the years. And I don't ever want to stand in the pulpit without the anointing and the presence and the power of God. That's what's made us what we are. It's not what we think we are. It's not talent or ability, but it's the blessing of God. If God would withdraw His blessing from you folks out there tonight, where would you be? What would you be? Where would you go? The reason we come together is because when we lift our hands in the sanctuary of the Lord and begin to praise and love and worship and sing His praises, it seems that Almighty God comes right down in our midst in the middle of those praises. Praise God. Uzziah, you did all right until you were strong. You felt like you could cut corners. You felt like you could find some shortcuts. Say, ladies, when you go back in your inner room and nobody knows it, and you get the scissors and start trimming on your hair, you're selling your altar. Amen. Say, man. When you can get when you can get behind your pastor's back, men, and you can criticize him, and you can talk about him, and you can laugh about what he's done, you just sold your altar. You just sold it. And if you're gonna sell it, I'd put a higher price on it than that. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I'm preaching to a lot of us tonight. There's some things mighty valuable and sacred and precious to us. And I praise God for it. So Uzziah was helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up in his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. I don't know if you really realize how serious that was or not. But way back there when he was 16 years old and started off so well, he didn't make his consecration complete. I can remember around those old-fashioned camp meetings in Oklahoma when I was a 16-year-old boy. I stood around altars. It didn't mean a whole lot to me then. But 17, 18, 19 began to mean more to me. I began to stand around those altars. I began to make consecrations. I began to beg God to pour some convictions in my heart. I began to develop some personal con- con- consecration and convictions that if I had not have developed them then, I could not stand here now. It's been the strength of those convictions that's helped me and seen me through. There's one thing lacking there. People have a headache a lot of times. They take an aspirin to get rid of the headache. And that really wasn't the problem. There was an infection somewhere in the body. It may have been in the stomach. It may have been in a leg. But the warning bell is up here in the head. 
the aspirin goes to the stomach and sends some kind of a sedation to the brain and the head. All of a sudden, the headache's gone, and we think, we think it's all over. You know, I'm healed now when the infection's still in the body. There's something still wrong there. Your conscience is that little warning bell that God gives you. Amen. And I don't, I don't ever want to be able to sit in a service and not hear that little warning bell go off once in a while. Praise God. I'm glad I heard it today. I'm glad I heard it. Praise God. When Brother Deal got through preaching and started singing that chorus, uh, Oh, I want to do your will, oh God. I took my little wife by the hand. She stood faithfully by me these 30 years. She's prayed with me and for me. She's been so willing to do everything I asked her to do. I asked her to take off her jewelry. She did. I said, you'll never cut your hair. She, she said, gladly. She raised our two girls to, to not cut their hair. I taught them. I trained them. I told them there's some things on that radio, girls, that you cannot listen to. And if you do listen to it, Daddy's going to do something about it. Once in a while, when they thought I was not listening, they'd turn on some music they shouldn't. I walked right into that room. I unplugged it. I took my knife out of my pocket, and I cut the cord in two. I said, now, when you can learn to do what I told you to do, I'll take the cord back together, and you can listen to the radio again. You see, we don't leave it all to God. There's some things that I have to do, too. I'm going to guard that altar. When Abraham built that altar, when Abraham divided his sacrifice, the fowls of the air tried to come in. The fowls of the air tried to devour it. You know what he did? He picked up a club and he started swinging at those fowls of the air. You're not going to get my sacrifice. Don't leave it all to God. Don't leave it all to God. There's some things we have to do to help. Amen. And I'd be glad to do it again. And I took my little wife by the hand very few times. We get to sit together in a service. This was one day I wanted to be there. I took her by the hand. And I began to pray and the tears began to come. And I said, Oh, God. Oh, God. We want to do Your will more than anything in this world. And I still feel that way. Because the Bible tells us, Psalms 118, that we should bind our sacrifice with cords to the altar. Amen. Tie yourself to it again. Tie yourself to the altar again. My son is sitting here tonight, and I don't want to embarrass him. And if I do, I hope he'll forgive me. He's been my best pal the best boy that ever lived, and I love him dearly. There was a little time in his life when I began to try to correct him. He never did ever talk back to me, never has sassed me in all of his life. He's respected me that much, but I kept trying to tell him to do something, and he didn't do it. He listened, but when I left, he didn't do it. And so one night I walked in and I said, Jimbo, I guess it's going to take a hard whipping for you to really know that daddy means business. And so I went out and got a great big switch. And I took my shirt off. And I took my undershirt off. And I started whipping myself. I just beat myself. And when I did, he got hysterical. He was a great big old boy. He got hysterical. He began to scream at me. 
Daddy, don't do that. Please, whip me, Daddy. Don't do that. And he, he almost got beside himself until I was almost afraid. Finally, he came and grabbed me, grabbed the switch, started loving me. I said, Daddy, I love you. I'll do anything you tell me to do. Just don't whip yourself any longer. That was the last threat of a whipping he's ever had to have. He knew that I loved him. But when he saw me take my shirt off and start beating myself, he said, I know my daddy must love me more than anything. I think that we all need to take a little journey tonight to Pilate's Judgment Hall. We need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. We need to hear the stripes on His back. We need to hear the blood as it drops to the floor. Take me back to Calvary. Let me see the price again. Let me feel it again. Let me fall in love with Jesus all over again. Because if I love Him like I really am supposed to love Him, no sacrifice will be too great. No price will be too great. Oh, if we could just see Him in Pilate's Judgment Hall. If we could just see Him. Oh, how He loved us. Aren't you glad for that love tonight? Would you slip up your hands and begin to praise Him? Bless His wonderful name. Praise God. Praise God. We're not really loving Him. Come on. I want you to see Calvary right now. Fall in love with Him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless His wonderful name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Let's make, let's make this night the night we fall in love with Him all over again. Oh, God. Bless His name. Bless His name. The altars are open. Hallelujah. 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 If you feel like you need to pray, you want to make a consecration, come and find your place to pray.
If you'd like to just come and fall in love with Jesus, come on. Come on. Praise God. God bless these young people. God bless you. Just come and stand here if you will. Come and stand here if you will. If you can't get to the altar, would you turn and kneel where you are? Would you make your altar back there? Would you kneel right where you are? Would you pray if you can't get here? Come on. Come if you can. Praise the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. 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 